tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good meal, Margaret Pat, and uh, welcome along to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Just to remind you of our competition, Larry O'Keefe Furniture, they're celebrating their 38th anniversary, can you believe? Family-run business, uh, established in 1981, and synonymous with uh, furniture and flooring. It has shops in Clonmel and Mitchellstown, and by way of celebration, they've given us a €250 voucher to give away at the end of the week, and we're looking for a finalist every day and the competition based on your interaction with us by text if you have a comment to give us uh, but stick uh, Larry O'Keefe at the end of your contribution so that we know at that point that you're interested in our competition. Now just while I remember it, can I remind you because Liam Condon was on to me to tell me that my old friend's loudest whisper with the wonderful Brian O'Reilly is appearing at the Folk Club in Clonmel this very evening. Now they're now based at the Coachman in Clonmel, the Clonmel Folk Club. And Loudest Whisper there, fantastic group, great songs and uh, great lineage there, great history to that group as well. And um, it should be a lovely evening. So that's this evening at the Folk Club in the Coachman Clonmel with uh, Loudest Whisper. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors with me in studio once again. Morning to you, John. Hi, Fran. How are you? I'm very... just whispered, did they go back as far as... Uh... How far back did they go? Oh, back to... Long time. I'd say the very early 70s. Yeah, I think... I think... Jimmy Cronin used to bring in bands when I was a young fellow into the Regal Theatre in Clonmel. I think, like, there was Skid Row and there was all yeah. those, are they? And yeah, to be around that time, yeah. What do they call the guys with the bongos? What were they called? Pyramid, no? Is that a band? Pyramid no. was a band from Thurless with Tom yeah. Lyons and stuff yeah, years yeah. ago as well. Yeah, he used to play the bongos. There was a fella, I think he used to play, yeah. yeah. Well, God, you're going back a bit now. You're going back I'm now. back to Morchaz, is it? The uh, Bob. The Mortas, the pub in Irish Town, they used to have a gig as well. Used to Listen, I was waiting to say this to somebody. That was before my time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, let's get to, uh, let's go from music to enduring power of attorney. <laughs> yeah. Because that's that's it where follows, you were last week. It follows right on from it, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed it does. Uh, yeah. Enduring music of attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you had some questions following yeah, last week, Yeah, there was didn't a you? couple of questions and a couple of clarifications maybe on it. I mean, the first thing is, maybe the the most statement of the obvious, what is it? It's a document that you you complete. And the other question was, or the other kind of important clarification on it is, that it's a two-stage process. Step one is you do the document, and step two is you activate the document. So effectively, you're literally just putting something in a drawer until such time as it's needed. Yes. And it's only needed if you lack capacity. And the reason for it was that you used to be only able to give what we call a power of attorney because somebody else asked me what's the difference between an enduring power of attorney and a power of attorney. And the difference between them effectively is the state of mind of the person who gave the power. So in other words, if I give you a power of attorney, for example, I'm giving you a power to do something for me while I have capacity. So in other words, let's say I go to Australia and I'm doing some sort of illegal transaction and it requires my signature, I might give you a power of attorney to sign a document on my behalf. That's a power of attorney. 
But the problem always with the power of attorney was that if something happened to you, so if, let's say, and that's the other question somebody said to me, why, you know, why do you do it? Like, let's say you were in Australia and the, and you were in, in some sort of a situation where you lost capacity. Let's say you were in an accident or something and you weren't able to look after your affairs for a period of time. Um, in those circumstances, your power of attorney would be of no value because right. you lack capacity. <clears throat> so an enduring power of attorney is literally so, is, is something that literally just activates as soon as you lack capacity. And the other question that somebody was asking me was, what is it like? What kind of powers do you give people? And what, you know, what are you? Well, that's as long or as short or as detailed or as complex as you want to make it. Uh, I remember when first doing the enduring, when the enduring power attorney came out first, not that long ago actually, the law society gave us this, I was just listening to your programme as I was coming into the radio on the whole carbon tax mm. and all this, and I was going to give a plug to Lynch Listers who went paperless 10 years ago, or more than 10 years ago, which I think was a fair contribution without a grant from, from the government or otherwise. But um, the interesting thing about when the enduring power of attorney came out first, they gave you a disk and they were going to automate it, computerize it, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole idea was that you just simply get somebody to sign a document and away, away you go kind of thing. But that was based on almost an all-embracing power of attorney. So in other words, you would literally say, I'm going to appoint, uh, let's say, so-and-so as my attorney. If something happens to me, so, so-and-so, we don't be calling your attorney as so-and-so, <laughs> but anyway, that a named individual would look after your affairs. But it's, it is a little bit more complex than that because, you know, the elements that you're talking about are, you know, financial elements, care elements, and or both of them. So what they introduced, and this was another question somebody asked me, what exactly is this advanced care directive that I talked about? And the advanced care directive is, is effectively, again, a sitting down exercise where you sit down with your doctor and you decide what options or interventions you might want in the event of you having, you know, an illness of some sort. And when you're looking at your power of attorney scenario, you know, and you're appointing somebody as your attorney, the question that you have to ask yourself there is, do you want to give them decisions to be made in that context? And if you do, then you should have an advanced care director so to give them some sort of an indication as to what kind of decisions you might make. And again, just rolling on to the next kind of logical question that you might ask is, you know, are there any kind of protections or safeguards for this because you see one of the things that unfortunately kind of comes to the fore sometimes when you're dealing with this area is what we call elder abuse and you know somewhat akin to the situation of the family member bringing the client in to the solicitor's office and then wheeling them in, not not putting it too kind of crudely, but walking them into your office, putting them down at the, and saying they want to make a will. Right. And you're in a similar situation to the enduring power of attorney insofar as you could have a duress situation. You could have a situation where somebody's been asked 
to literally hand over their, uh, you know, authority to do things. And there was a very interesting case that we were involved in recently. And um, just to give a kind of a a context to what we're talking about, and it was a piece of litigation that we were involved in on behalf of a client. And the client wasn't local, so, you know, we didn't, wouldn't know the family circumstances of the client. One of the advantages of being local is that you do know a certain mm. amount about the circumstances. But when you're looking at, in, in this particular situation, we were handling a high court litigation on behalf of this elderly lady. And we suddenly started to wonder about the instructions we were getting because all the instructions were coming through family members and you were in a situation where we couldn't get direct access to the client to get instructions because that's what you need to do because when you're doing an enduring power and I'm kind of sidestepping here to a certain extent but in in that particular situation we actually drove down to the client and did an attendance on the client and found out within minutes, seconds, if you like, that the client wasn't capable of making it and giving us any instructions at all. So under those circumstances, that brings you right back to the context of why you might do an enduring power of attorney. And there wasn't an enduring power of attorney in those circumstances. So what do you do in that situation? Well, the only thing we could do and the thing that we had to do was to make an application to make the Lady Award of Court, mm. which we duly did. And this is brings you back to square one as to why you would do an enduring right. power of attorney. You do an enduring power of attorney as a pre-planning scenario to mm. the possibility that you may lose capacity. And, and just for clarity, John, the kind of uh, gigs then that that the the attorney would do or the person who, who who's been given this role yes. um would you have access to the bank account yes. for example yeah credit cards yes all, yes. all of that type yes. of thing yeah S- sale of property sale of houses yeah sale of assets managing businesses making personal care decisions on behalf right. of client does the and it's called the donor and the attorney if you know what I mean but the person who, if you like, comes under the control of the attorney, uh, in those circumstances, yes, you can make decisions about do they stay at home, do they go into a nursing home. But more importantly, if not more importantly, because everything is important in the context that you're talking about here, but like care decisions, as in medical decisions, come in under the... the advanced health you know, care directive. But the personal care decisions, there are safeguards within the legislation, of course, for all of this, which is where I kind of stopped with this, because, you know, if you've got to make personal care decisions and you appoint somebody as your attorney, sometimes people have a, an issue with who do I appoint as attorney. But within the framework of it, you have the facility to nominate somebody that you can consult in order to make these decisions, which makes very logical sense. And if there is a spouse, for example, and somebody outside of the family is chosen as as the attorney, they they have jurisdiction then? They do, but, but under the, and again, this is the safeguard scenario here, under the, the, you know, the other question that somebody asked me, which is right on, on all fours of what we're talking about is, you know, how do you, how do you make sure somebody doesn't abuse the mm, situation? Mm. And this, this story there is that, 
you know, when you're doing the enduring power of attorney, your starting point is to make sure that somebody is able to do it as in that they understand what they're doing. And in order to do that, you have your safeguards of ensuring that the solicitor who's doing it signs off on it. So you must sign off to say, certify, yes, I am satisfied that the person who's doing this knows exactly what they're doing. And you also have a sign-off from the doctor. So the doctor must, you must have a doctor sign-off as well. And the third element of the sign-off is that you have to notify people other than the attorneys about the fact that you've done an enduring power of attorney. And that in there, within that particular notification, uh, protection, stroke, Mm. safeguard, you've got the fact the people you must notify and you must notify, you know, partners, next of kin, spouses, family members. So you're you're protecting within the protection, if you know what I mean. Right. Do you write in what the trigger is? The trigger is is capacity. It's ca- but, but but capacity is is. Oh yeah, very good question. You know, yeah, very I mean, good question. What's capacity? What's what's lack well, of capacity? Well, you must have a medical certificate to say that somebody lacks capacity. So, in other words, the second part of the process is you do the insurance power of attorney. Hopefully, put it in a drawer and don't need to use it. But if it becomes activated, so it's like you know, like the the traffic lights. You know, they go green if you lose capacity. I don't know if that's too crude an analogy, Mm. but Mm. if you know what I mean. So when you lack capacity, the next safeguard kicks in there because you can't just simply, as an attorney, send off a notification because you've got to register. You see, once you do the power of attorney, you've then got to register it once it's activated. So, as you say, what's the trigger? The trigger is that the donor lacks capacity. Okay, so the trigger has been activated. So what do you do next? You register it. You must register it now. Presently, you register it in the High Court. So to register in the High Court and to make it effective, you must have a doctor certificate to the effect that the person does not have capacity. And you then have the safeguards that are built into that. And the safeguards that are built into it is that somebody is entitled. You must also notify the people that you notify day one. So the two people that you other than the attorneys that you notified day one when you created the document, you must then now notify them again and say, here, by the way, the person has now lost capacity, we're now going to register this. And that triggers the option stroke, the power in those Mm. people to say, well, hold up a second here now. We don't think this person lacks capacity. And there was a very... uh, prolonged High Court and Supreme Court case there very recently on somebody who was made a ward of court where the son made an application, several applications actually, I was in High Court, in the High Court one of the times that he was making the application but his basic argument was my mother doesn't lack capacity she's fairly capable of managing her affairs and she should never have been made a ward of court. He went into the Supreme Court twice on that particular point and I think succeeded in going back to the High Court because the Supreme Court weren't happy with the way the High Court dealt with the day one but I think ultimately he didn't succeed in the argument that she lacked capacity. But the other thing as well is that the other issue about capacity which is really interesting going forward from you know the perspective of a lawyer and this whole area is that under the 2015 Capacity Act which 
again, I don't want to get too convoluted about it, but there is a new piece of legislation that has come in that has literally said capacity is not just a one-stop shop. There's no such thing as saying somebody has capacity for nothing. You must look at each individual. You must look at their individual circumstances. You must look, must look at you know their capacity before they lost capacity, if you understand mm. what I mean. Mm. So you look at their educational background, their ability to communicate, you know, what kind of disability they had, the circumstances under which you're saying that they lack capacity. So, because there's a huge right. argument out there that just because, you know, there used to be this kind of big brush approach that, you know, you went into the doctor, asked a series of questions, and he went bang, 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 no, didn't answer that right, didn't answer that, and then take now that been right. somewhat simplistic about it. Two, two brief things, John. Uh, the, the, the first one being capacity. Uh, I mean, you may lack capacity at a particular time, but then you may have correct. some sort of a, a reprieve from correct, that. Correct, absolutely right. And there's two elements to it. First of all, as you say quite rightly, you can have lucid periods. Yeah. So, for example, you could have uh, presenile dementia and you could have lucid periods you could have dementia and you could have lucid periods you could have, you know so yes you may not lack capacity at any individual any particular time and you may regain capacity and the other thing of course which is really interesting in the, con- in the context of deciding what is capacity and we might cover it when they actually enact this because the reality of it is that you know just because you make what we might consider inappropriate decisions and just because you you don't you know you do something that's not somebody else doesn't think is the right thing to do doesn't mean you don't have capacity right and right. that's, that's really very interesting important. and just the final one yeah. if somebody passes away um, the power of attorney then that that's not Gone. a void is yeah, it yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the will kicks in then exactly obviously. exactly right. exactly well, that's why they go together almost they're like a companion volume, if you know what I mean. A, a, what was called a box set. A box. I call it a box set. So <laughs> right. it's yeah. kind of like a box set. You've right. got your will and your journey. But there's no attorney. role for the attorney. There's no role the for the attorney. The, the attorney might never have a role. Yeah. Might never have a role. You might. You. Although my father the other day was saying to me that the age. He's he's ninety three, and we were talking about age. I'm saying that. Uh, you know, my wife just turned a big number there recently. He said, Asher, she's only a child. <laughs> and he said, well, one t- 120. He says, you could get to 120. He said, which, of course, means that the whole area capacity is wide open. <laughs> we're going to get to 120. Isn't that great? Listen, always a pleasure, John. Thanks Thank very, very much. much. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors. We'll take a break. Back with more tip today in a moment. <laughs> 